Bokar Tov. Today we begin Parasha and the book of Vaikra. So what is the book of Vaikra? Do you have? Are you using the book of Vaikra? Because yes. oh, your thing is broken up into five volumes. Yeah, yeah. This is you switched. The, the new one. Okay, good. Gotcha. I mean the new one. Alright, the old one is already worn out. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> what is the book of Vaikra? Kurbanot. The book of Vaikra is a direct direct continuation of the end of Parashat Pekudeh the end of Sefer Shemot the reason being at the end of Parashat Pekudeh we have the establishment of the Mishkan Mm -hmm. the erection of the Mishkan and if the Mishkan is what saves B'nai Israel from the sin of the golden calf if the Mishkan is the means through which B'nai Israel are going to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu from here on in the service in that Mishkan is the next topic that needs to be discussed. How to do now, because the, the, the service of the Mishkan is handled by the Kohanim, the book of Aikra is called Torat Kohanim. This is one of the, the second name, the other names for Sefer Vaikra. Now, if we look at uh, what we typically do is look at the previous parasha. Mm-hmm. So, so, so before we even get there, Parashat Vaikra is going to is going to be filled with laws. It's going to be filled with mitzvot. The only book I think that matches it in terms of mitzvot is Parashat is Sefer Devarim, because Sefer Devarim is a recapitulation of all of the mitzvot for the generation that's about to enter into the land of Israel. So naturally, it's going to repeat a lot of the mitzvot for Bnei Israel to know them as they enter the land. But Sefer Vaikra is like the primary source. So a lot of Sefer Devarim actually repeats from from Sefer Vaikra. Now, the laws are going to be focused around the Mishkan, around the laws of the Mishkan. So there's going to be a lot of discussion on Korbanot. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm realizing about the Korbanot is that the reason people um, don't enjoy studying it is, is because nobody understands it. <laughs> and, and we do a very bad job of really just trying to simplify all the Korbanot and breaking them down into, because there aren't that many. You know, we, we get overwhelmed by the amount of korbanot and things, but there, are not, there aren't that many. And if we were to understand, if we were to try to understand what they mean, and what they all represent, and what they are, and we could clearly get a sense of what they are, it may be actually a little bit enjoyable to study. Also, I, I love Sefer Vaikra just because um, once, once B'nai Israel is on their, is on their feet, they are now ready to reach the stage of becoming a mamlechet kohanim v'goy kadosh, a, a, a priestly kingdom, yes. right? And if they're going to be a priestly kingdom, they're going to have to be led by the kohanim who are the priests of their own. And yeah, for them to be a priestly kingdom, they're going to have to learn to, to live a more dignified life. And, and Vaikra is the book in which we really learn about the concept of kedusha, about holiness about preserving our, our Kedusha. Um, a lot of the discussion is going to surround Tumah and Tahara. Mm-hmm. And Tumah and Tahara is just a way of discerning who is allowed to go to the Mikdash and who is not allowed to go to the Mikdash. In fact, Rambam says, in the more, I think he says this in the Morin of Uchim, one of the reasons they had the laws of Tumah and Tahara is to stop people from going into the Mikdash too much. Which makes a lot of sense. It becomes more precious. So it becomes more precious, exactly. One of the things we saw in Sefer Shemot that was a problem was 
Because they weren't eating. Yeah. People, they didn't, and then what happened with the golden calf? They tried to get too close to the God. To God. Okay? And then, so, so a lot of the laws in Vayikra are going to be teaching us the proper boundary for how to, how to relate to God. Which is, a, which is a very exciting thing to someone who's been waiting to see. If, you, if, if you're already curious how we're going to solve the issue of then, then Vayikra is exciting. Now, we know that that's one, one of the themes of Vayikra. We clearly know that's one of the themes of Vayikra because in Sefer Vayikra, in about uh, two parashiot, Nadav and Avihu are going to make the same mistake as we saw before. They're also going to try to get too close to God in a way where they kind of um, they act too comfortable with God and God is going to kill them for that. They're going to be killed for that. Or they're going to die for that. He's teaching us how to get close to Hashem without yeah. getting into trouble. Right. So now, so to sum up, Vaikra is going to be a book that, that revolves around the laws of the Mishkan and the Korbanot and the laws of Tuman Tahara about approaching the Mishkan. And then a lot of the laws that don't fall into that category are, tip, are often going to be related to those laws. So what the Torah does sometimes is it'll enter into a topic that is related to the Mishkan, let's say, which is on topic. But then, yeah, once sub-topic. it opens up that topic, there yeah, are subtopics. You know, there are other topics yes. that need to be discussed, which, which only fall into place because they're related to the first one. But they're not really related to the overall theme of the book. So that's another thing that we see happens a lot in Sefer Vayikra. Now, where did we leave off in the end of Parashat Pekudeh? So the last thing that happened in, in uh, Parashat Pekudeh is Vayichas Anan. At uh, Ohel Moed, that I'm, I'm actually reading using the wrong yes. pasuk. Um, yeah, they they finish the the the, the, the yeah. Moshe put the oil. You, none of us have a, a chumash that goes back, yes. so we're, we're I, both I, we're both using a one volume <laughs> chumash. So at the end of Parshat Pekudeh, it says, but um, that the the spirit of God or the Shekhinah of God rested on the Mishkan right. in the thick of a cloud. And it says, Moshe could Moshe, not approach the oil Moed because the cloud was there. Correct. We've seen this happen before. And this happened on Har Sinai. On Har Sinai, when at the end of Parashat Mishpatim, God's presence is on the top of the mountain and Moshe is there. And now what does God do when Moshe is standing there looking at the cloud? He covers him with his hat. No, no, he, he actually calls him. I wish I had the Psukim here. Any, any yeah, let's go bring bring a Tanakh so we, we could see the Psukim. Okay, this you'll find interesting actually. Look, let's go to Parashat Mishpatim. So the end of Parashat Mishpatim, the Pasuk says, Here. Moshe goes up to the mountain. And the cloud had covered the mountain. 
The glory of God rested on Har Sinai. Who covered it for six days. On the seventh day, God calls out to Moshe. Okay, so it seems like what kind of happened here at the end of Parashat Mishpatim is Moshe goes to the mountain. By the way, this is right after the, the covenant of Naseb and Ishma and things yes. like that. Okay, they come in with the blood, you know. Um, so it seems like Moshe goes up the incline of the mountain, but then he sees there's a cloud there. He has to wait. And he has to wait. Until and then he, he exactly he has to wait until he's called. So now what happens when the Mishkan is erected? There's a cloud there. And the Pasuk says explicitly this time, Moshe could not come up because he could not come up to the Ohil Moed for the cloud had rested on it. He had to wait to be called. Exactly. He had to wait to be called. And then when does the calling happen this time? Uh, At the beginning of Parashat Vaikra. So that's how Parashat Vaikra opens. It should bring us back. It should give us a... Open, it should remind us of a previous experience at Har Sinai. Call to Moses. Yeah, like Ra'el Moshe. And that, that's why we know. So there's, there's something deep there, right? It's clearly supposed to remind us of the experience at Har Sinai. And I could think of two reasons. One, because as the Ramban says over and over, the Mishkan was a miniature Har Sinai. It was a means of carrying the experience of Har Sinai with them throughout the desert. And two, Actually, no, I think that's the best answer. I, I, I think that's really the, the reason why it, it mimics the experience Moshe had at Har Sinai so clearly. Okay. Pasuk Aleph. God called out to Moshe and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying. So it seems like either two, one of two things. Either Moshe can't go into the tent of meeting. So God is calling from the tent of meeting and Moshe is standing outside. That's one opinion. Another opinion I saw is that Moshe could not go in the same way he couldn't go up the mountain until right. he was called. And once he's called, he would go in. He would go, he would right. go in, exactly. Right. So those are two options. He had to get the permission. He just had to get permission. But now, now he's going in. Pazuk Bet. Daber el bene Israel. You should say to them, Adam ki akriv mikem korban ladonai. If a person from you decides to bring a korban to God, it should be from domesticated animals. Yes. And which, what are domesticated animals? Bakar and son. Bakar includes cattle. It, it, it includes cows yes. and oxes, oxen, whatever, whatever the, the plural of that word is. Okay? So that's all types of cows or cattle. And son is sheep or goats. And included in sheep is the male sheep, which is an ayah. So we have uh, the, the rules, the ba- the, this first pasuk is an introduction to all of the laws of korbanot. That of all your korbanot, the first rule this is, is... This is what you can bring. This is what you could bring. You could bring domesticated animals. Now what yes. can't you bring? All the rest. Undomesticated animals. A lion, <laughs> yes. tiger, chayot. Yes. Chayot. The giraffe. <laughs> yeah, chayot are animals that are undomesticated. You're only allowed to bring what is domesticated. And what, is, what are the domesticated animals? The summary of them is cows, sheep, and goats. Usually it's what, what, what the man has. I mean, if, if he's a shepherd or something like that, this is what he... That's a good point. That's know? what the, that's what the guy what they, would typically shepherd. He's not going to have a lion. He's not going to have a giraffe in his... <laughs> very, yeah. very, very rarely. It's an interesting point. Correct. Uh, let's see. So, so 
now the first half of Parashat, of Parashat Vaigra, we have to be very organized in how we study it because you can get lost in the details. Yes. But as we try to do typically, we want to see like a bird's eye view of what's going on. So that first pasuk was an introduction to all korban. Okay, but starting in this second pasuk, it's going to, in this third pasuk really, it's going to get more specific. And the, the way the parasha is structured is as follows. The first half of the parasha is going to be giving us all of the examples of voluntary korbanot. Any korban that I bring out of the desire of my own heart, yes, either as, through as a, a neder or a nidava, either through a, a swear or a donation. Okay? And, and it could be done out of thanks, it could be done out of desire to get closer to God, it could be done for, I don't know, finishing a book of whatever it is. For any reason that a person wants to bring a korban nidava, a donation offering, that's what the first half of the parasha is going to talk about. And in talking about that, it's going to give us all of the different types of voluntary offerings. The first one is an ola. Yes. The second one is going to be a mincha. And the third one is going to be a shilamim. These are all different types of offerings that could be brought by the whim of the person who is bringing it. The second half of the parasha then is going to go away from voluntary offerings and it's going to go to different types of offerings that are obligatory to be brought. And why would a person be obligated to bring because an offering? He did something wrong. Because of sin. Yes. Okay? So if we want to understand the parasha, to really simplify the entire parashat Vaikra, the first half is voluntary offerings and the second half is sin offerings and the different types of sin offerings. Okay? Now let's, do, let's start with the first type of voluntary offering. This is Pasuk Gimel. If he decides to bring in Allah, it must be from the cattle. Mm-hmm. And it must be pure and it must be male. He brings it to the entrance of the tent of meeting uh, for the will of God before God. Okay. First you bring it there. Yeah. So there, there's Lirtsono, in my opinion, Lirtsono actually means for God, but uh, the Mifarshim also say it's actually, it's actually by will. So, and, and what they mean is the person has to want to bring it. He has to want he to bring it. He has to have the desire to bring it. He has to be on his own desire. Now, whatever, there's a, the there's a, hal- there's a the halakhic nuance. The heart, because Hashem can read the heart. Yeah, the, but there's a halakhic nuance. It's actually pretty funny. Where, let's say I promise, I swear to bring a korban Allah, and then in two weeks I don't want to bring it anymore. You cannot change. So, I cannot, of course I cannot change. But, I also, according to this law, I would need to bring it with desire. Yeah. And if I don't have desire, then I don't want to do oh, it. But I'm yeah. obligated to do it, so what do I do? So the Beitin is actually instructed to, to beat the person until slashes until until, until it he, hurts him it hurts him more to continue getting the beating <laughs> than to bring the korban so in essence he wants to bring the korban for sure it's it tech, in, in the he legal doesn't want to get the lashes right in a legal sense he wants to bring the korban okay uh, we found it <laughs> yeah so that that's how you get the person that's what you learn from it's, it's a funny it's a funny halakha he puts his hands on the head of the Ola, and it will be desirable for him to be, to be in atonement for him. Now, what does atonement mean in this sense? Because it, it doesn't seem like the guy did anything wrong. Yeah, he's bringing it as maybe that is thanks or as a desire just to get close to Hashem. This atonement yeah. is when you sin. So this right. confuses a little bit. So, it seems like, it seems like an Ola does the following. 
Uh, when does a person bring a korban khatat? It's for very, very specific sins. Yes. It's for a sin. Typically, it's a sin that if a person were to do... do a negative... Right. It's actually for a sin that if a person were to do on purpose, he would be chayav karim. Yes. So in that case, the person has to bring a khatat. But then there are many, many other cases where the person knows he sins, he sinned. But there's no real punishment for it. There's no real obligation to bring a korban. It seems like that would be one reason a person would desire to, to bring, bring a korban exactly, Allah, a korban Allah uh, as, a, is, is, as a donation. Is not a, because it's not technically not obligated, but he really feels like he wants to do it. He so to, he, he does it as kapara for that he has a, he has a, His heart has a bad, a bad feeling. He yeah. wants to clear it. Okay, so that was the introduction to Baikra wow, so far. So, so far, what do we know about the korban Allah that's in Nidava? Which type of animal is it brought from? Uh, from the domestic animal. From domesticated animals, exactly. Me, which which means specifically? That, which means that whatever animal that somebody can keep in his farm or in his... Right, uh, but, but now once we're in the domestic, we know of a few domesticated animals. Which one specifically is brought for this Ola? Oh, it's uh, the, 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 male, uh, the male... The male cow. Yes, the male cow. Okay. It has to be unblemished. So that's going to be the first type we yes. learn about. Okay, Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen, amen. Amen, amen.